So tonight, as we talk about how can I hear your voice, to begin with, I need a volunteer, just one. Excellent, come on down. Tell us who you are. I'm Nate. Nate, let's give it up for Nate. Excellent. All right, Nate's going to come with me. Mitch, I want you to kill my mic for a second. Nate. Excellent. Here's what we're going to do. Um, this group, when I bring Nate back in, I'm going to say, go, and you're each going to make a noise. You are going to do this. Practice. Great. Uh, this group, you're going to yell repeatedly, may the odds always be in your favor. <laughs> All right? Let us practice that together. May the odds, loud, in your favor. May the odds always be in your favor. Louder. May the odds always be in your favor. Louder. May the odds always be in your favor. All right? All right? It's got to be loud. You all have to do it. This is a, a non-option out. You're just going to clap. All right? Loudly. All right? <clears throat> You guys are going to hoot and whistle. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. All right. So when he comes back in, I'm going to have him stand there. I'm going to go stand back there. I'm going to tell him that he needs to hear what I'm saying. And when I get back there, I'm going to say, go, and let's all practice what we, everybody knows you need to do. Now, for those of you who don't know, the line over here is part of a game that was played all week long, zombies and humans. And I think we have no humans left. Is this true? Does anybody have any idea? We're like, we were playing a game. We like study and stuff. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Anyway, that's where the line comes from. So it's not, it's not scripture. Don't, don't think that at all. <laughs> Nothing about odds in scripture. All right. So when I say go, you're all going to do that. So let's practice. Are you ready? Everybody know your thing? Ready? Go. <laughs> Great. Let's welcome Nate back. All right, Nate, I'm going to have you stand here. I'm going to stand right back there. I'm going to say something to you. All you have to do is listen to what I say. Okay. Easy. Ready? Go. Good. Good. 
Good, good. Well done. What did I say? I have no idea. Excellent. There we go. Good. Nate, have a seat. Have a seat. Yes, exactly right. He had no idea. No idea. Because when you are trying really hard to listen to somebody who could be saying something very profound and moving, and there, that's not a guarantee, I'm just saying if. And if there are lots of noises and distractions around you, you become so overwhelmed that you can't even remember what you were supposed to do, let alone actually hear what the person is saying to you. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, the first thing we need to recognize together is that there are so many things that don't want us to hear the voice of God. There are so many barriers between us and listening well to the voice of God. One of those is busyness. We have so many things coming at us all the time. It's just like people hooting and whistling at us all the time. Come do this. This is fun. Do this. Add a minor. Add a major. Run for this office. Join this committee. Be in this choir. Do this thing. All these distractions on our time and our energy. And then another big barrier between listening well to God is sin. When we have sin in our lives, it's like static between us and God. And we can want to talk about, to God about this. Let's say, I'm meeting with my advisor this week. I have no idea what classes to take. Sure would be great if you give me a little help, but please do not ask me about this particular area of my life. Don't really want to talk about it. But if you could help with this, that'd be great. But the truth is, when we have sin in our lives, when we have unconfessed sin, would you, we just have this crud built up in our souls. It makes it very difficult for us to hear the voice of God. And it's like someone shouting an inane phrase over and over and over again because it just keeps us from God. Paula Houston is an author who is here this week for the Festival of Faith and Writing. And in one of her books called Forgiveness, which is just great, it's a book about forgiveness. She writes in that book about a season in her life when she was wandering away from God. And she was young, she was married, she had kids, and she confessed to her sister that she was falling in love with another man. And she and her sister had both grown up in the Lutheran church, and, and her sister had kept the faith alive and vital and strong. And so her sister kept trying to talk her out of this. Say, you need to be faithful to the vows that you have made. This is who you are. This is your identity. Come back to this. And she prayed for her, and she would tell her that she's praying for her. And when Paula actually ended up walking away from her marriage, one of her early nights when she was in the apartment all by herself, weeping, she called her sister to come. And her sister came and stayed up all night. She put Paula in bed, tucked her in, and then she stayed up all night in the other room praying for her. And Paula writes in her book that she resented that. She hated it. 
because the sin that was in her life made her resent when even other people were trying to communicate to God on her behalf. So when we talk about hearing God's voice, we need to be really aware that there are lots of distractions and busyness and demands on our time, and there is sin, and there is fear. I think we read in Scripture where, you know, God puts these calls on people's lives, like he calls to Moses and says, hey, go, let my people go. And, you know, Moses is like, no, uh, really? I don't want to do that. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, he calls Jonah and says, hey, I want you to, to go to the crazy people over there and tell them that I love them. And Jonah's like, Right? And there are these calls that God puts on people's lives, and, and they don't look like very much fun, and the people kind of resist them. And so I think we've got this fear that actually we, we were to listen to the voice of God. He might actually tell us to do things that we don't want to do. And so it's just a whole lot easier not to listen. La, 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 la. Speak, oh Lord, not to me tonight Cause I'm very busy and I don't want you to mess up my life <laughs> So there's this fear that if we actually listen to God He might ask us to do things that we don't want to do Guess what? That's his right. He is God But you also know that when you look at these call stories of people, that when they respond and when they're obedient, it's not like he just goes, all right, go, get along then, have a nice time. He actually goes with them, and they do amazing things. And then for some of us, fear has a slightly different look to it. It's because our relationship with God gets a little muddied by our relationship with other people. And for some of us, we don't have a great relationship with our earthly father. And so when people talk about listening to God and going to God in prayer, and, and God is framed as father, it's really hard for us. We can't figure out, how do I move toward a more intimate relationship with God and everyone describes him as father when my own relationship with my earthly father is so messy and complicated. And so what prevents us from hearing the voice of God is, is the fear that's kind of been silted in our souls by our earthly relationship with our fathers. My friend Cherith Fee Nordling, who's a theologian, writes about this, and she says, it's important that we remember that earthly fathers actually get their name and title from God the Father. It's not as if we looked around on earth and said, what should we call, I don't know, let's call him Father seems to work, these, these guys seem pretty nice, let's just name him Father. She says, no, 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 that's not how it happened. God is the Father, creator, the Almighty, and from him, earthly fathers get their name. So she says, any time that we kind of bring our earthly father garbage into presence with our heavenly father, we need to remember that we're getting it backwards, that it's instead our heavenly father's light and life that sweeps over us and takes the garbage from our earthly fathers away. 
So fear can be part of it. Busyness, sin, fear in different aspects. There's this great passage in the Gospel of Mark where the disciples have been out and they've been doing all sorts of things for the kingdom. God, Jesus has sent them out and now they're coming back. And they're starting to tell stories about their mission trips. Some of you have been on mission trips. You know when you come back, you want to tell everybody what happened. And then this guy at the 7-Eleven, he like totally wanted us to pray for him, and it was amazing. <laughs> right? And so the disciples are all coming back, and they're having these kind of conversations. We totally healed somebody! Yes! Right? They're having like, yes, this has happened to us. It was so great. And, they're, and the, the Mark writes this. The disciples came back, and they were talking about everything that they had seen and done. And because there were so many people about, they did not even have time to eat. Have you been there? So many people coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Mark 6, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We like to think that busyness and sin and fear are 21st century problems. But the truth is they are old Remember last week, we talked about Adam and Eve and the fall, and we talked about how there was this division that, was just, that just pierced the relationship between God and God's people, that there's this fracturing of relationship, and it's the job of the enemy, it's the delight of the enemy to keep that as fractured as possible. So he has been trying to use these things since the dawn of time and slightly after slightly after the dawn of time, to get us away from God. And so Jesus recognizes this in his disciples. He says, wow, they've been so busy. They're so tired. They need to rest. They need to rest. And it's into that rest that Jesus draws us. What we see in this little passage in Mark 6 is that Jesus actually desires a conversational relationship with his people. He actually desires to hear what you have to say about what's happening in your life and with your friends and with your family, what you're hoping for, what you're afraid of, what you're excited about. He actually wants to hear that from you. That's what he wants from his disciples. He wants us... He wants us to tell the stories of our faith. And then what we see over and over in Scripture is that he wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to assure us and encourage us and invite us further into discipleship. This is what he does. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that he stands against anything that would come between us and hearing the voice of God. Into busyness, he says, come and be still and find rest. Into sin, he says, come and repent and be restored. And into fear, he says, trust. Trust me. You can see over and over in Scripture 
how God invites his people into rest, right? This is, this is a common theme in scripture, that he's like, come and rest, woven into the fabric of creation, that one day you lay down everything and you rest. How can we hear the voice of God if we always have other things in our ears, literally and figuratively? If we're always worried about what we're producing or how we're being perceived, or do people like us? Are they paying attention to us? What more do I need to do? What else is on my to-do list? If our attention is always on ourselves and what's next, what do I need to accomplish? There's no room for quiet. There's no room to move into another relationship. Some of you are in friendships where um, you're getting a little annoyed with people right now. Because you're thinking, look, we've been friends now for almost three years, and you have been so wrapped up in finishing this lab stuff and maintaining your GPA and getting the honor stuff that you've just blown me off for like six weeks. And you know that when you're in a friendship like that, you have to make a choice about, am I gonna call my friend out on this and say, I want more intimacy with you? And if you are the friend who is doing that, are you gonna be willing to say, I'm gonna make friend dates with you because you are such a priority to me? If in the busyness of your life, you can't make room for intimate human relationships, the odds are pretty good your relationship with God is suffering too. Because it actually takes some time and intentionality. Maybe the best thing you can do to hear God's voice is to cross one thing off your to-do list and never put it back on there again. Maybe it's to say, I'm going to make a commitment to stillness. And my friend and I are going to be stillness accountability buddies. And we're going to take 30 minutes twice a week, and we're going to go down to the basement of the chapel. And you're going to go into one prayer room, and I'm going to go in another prayer room, and for 30 minutes, we're going to just sit there, maybe with a Bible, maybe with a journal, and after 30 minutes, we're going to come out. And maybe we'll talk about what we experienced, and maybe we won't, but at least we'll hold, accountable, hold each other accountable to be still. And we see that Jesus is always moving to forgive sins. And this blends a little bit with the fear thing. As I was studying for this message and thinking about fear and how it alienates us from God, I thought, who are the people in Scripture who are afraid of Jesus? Nobody. It was so remarkable to me. There is one person whom Jesus approaches and the person goes away sad. Do you remember who this is? The rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus and he goes away sad. And he goes away sad because of the sin in his life. He can't lay it down. He can't move through it. But you know there is one group that is fearful of Jesus? And they're the ones who say, what do you have to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? What group is that? The demons. When it comes to fear, human beings created in the image of God do not need to fear God. Not in that way. 
The demons fear God. The demons shudder before the face of God. It is the demons, the one who are trying hard to drive a wedge between you and your friends, between you and your God. It is the demons who shudder. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the way is clear for us to speak to God and for us to hear from God. The fear is gone. The sin is gone. And we're free to be still and to rest. Jesus invites us to come away to a quiet place and get some rest. It's great, this little story in Mark echoes themes that come up in 1 Kings 19. There's this great story about Elijah. He's just had the showdown on Mount Carmel. You know, it's like he's teasing the prophets of Baal. Oh, maybe he's sleeping, right? And they do this whole battle, and then there's the lightning, and and, and he totally wins, and he kills all the prophets of Baal. And then he prays, and rain comes. They haven't had rain in a long time. He prays, and the rain comes. And then Ahab and Jezebel send word that they're going to kill him. That's the bad king and the bad queen. They say, we're going to kill you. So then he runs out into the desert, and he's all disgusted and demoralized. And he lies down under a bush, and he says, God, just kill me. Just kill me now, because I'm working really hard. Nothing happened. And he just lies down under a bush, and he falls asleep. And then an angel of the Lord comes over to him and, and just wakes him up. I made you a snack. <laughs> and he gets up, and there's like a little, little hot pot going on there, and a little, little cake, and he eats it, and he drinks, and he falls back asleep. And the angel's probably like reading a magazine or something and waits a little while. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I made you another snack. <laughs> and he gets up, and he eats, and he drinks. Because God knows then unless Elijah is physically restored, there is no way he can hear the voice of God. Unless Elijah is physically restored, there is no way he can hear the voice of God. Some of you know this, right? I mean, you go to church, you're well-intentioned, you're going to stay awake, you're fired up, you're happy about it, you get there, and all of a sudden it's like dark, the lights are a little bit lower, it's been a long day, you've been out playing in the sun, and you're like... Right? Or during the, the long prayer, we used to call it the long prayer in church, right? You kind of do one of these like. Right? Because if, if your body is, is powered down, you're not, you're not ready to hear the voice of God. If you're running your days on Red Bull and Mountain Dew and caffeine and sugar, you're probably not in a good space to hear the voice of God. If you're attempting to function as a human being, like function in a normal way, like interact with people and go to class and make good choices on, let's say, four hours of sleep a night, probably not going to be able to hear the voice of God. Some of us are making choices about our bodies that are inhibiting the growth of our souls. So what would it look like if we actually listened and let the angel 
maybe, you know, commons, Knollcrest, Johnny's. Make us a snack every now and then, like a good one. Maybe you go like, get a salad, drink some water for a change, not all the caffeinated beverages. Like, what would it actually look like if you started to say, I am going to go to bed maybe before the next day has started? This is holy scripture. This is what God does. He's like, look, I got big things to talk to you about. First, you need a nap and a snack. <laughs> Some of y'all need a nap and a snack. Right? So he gives them the nap and the snack, and Elijah's restored, and it must have been like super divine power bar because he runs 40 days into the wilderness. And I know, you're all like, hook me up. What's some of that? He runs all the way into the wilderness, and, um, and God asks him a question. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he's still feeling a little bit pouty, and he's like, you know what? I have been righteous for you. I have been done everything you wanted me to do. I've been a really good person. I've been a good prophet. I've done everything, and now I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who hasn't bowed a knee to Baal. What do you have to say about that? Which I think is a little cheeky, considering what happened on Mount Carmel. I think Elijah should just suck it up and be like, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm in. But this also shows the vulnerability and the transparency and the honesty in the relationship between God and God's people. Right? There's no false piety. It's like legit. He's like, look, I'm still really confused. How do they want to kill me now? They've had, like... We had an amazing success. What now, God? Where are you now? And then some of you know what happens. Like, there's this big whirlwind that goes by. God's not in the whirlwind. Then there's this big fire. God's not in the fire. And then there's this gentle whisper. And you know where God is? He's in the whisper. So then Elijah comes out again, and the Lord asks him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because God has just shown him that, yeah, sometimes my voice is heard in lightning bolts that light up the sky and consume an offering. And sometimes my voice is heard in whirlwinds and fires. But you need to know, Elijah, that sometimes my voice is just a gentle whisper. It's a little nudge. It's just enough to get you through the day. It's that thought you have in the back of your head when you think, I really need to be praying for someone today. And you don't know why. You don't know what's happening in this person's life. But you just pray for them. It's the still small voice that says, today, go to Upper Crust and actually choose a table where other people are sitting and don't sit by yourself again. It's the voice that says, it's time for you to re-engage in some relationships that you've neglected. The still small voice, it's not always flashy. It's not always big. Elijah had seen flashy, he had seen big, he needed to remember the still small voice. 
So God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he gives the exact same answer, but I'm going to guess his tone was a little different. I'm the only one left. And what God does then is places him in community. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and anoint Elisha. He's going to be your follow-up. I got two more people for you to invite. And oh, by the way, there are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You are not alone, Elijah. You are in community, Elijah. Now go out and raise up leaders who will stand with you. Because the voice of God brings us into community. It brings us into other people. It says, get into relationship. Go deep with each other. When you are baptized, you are baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. You weren't baptized as a lone, low Christian flying out there all by yourself. You are baptized into the church. And so the voice of God will call you into relationship, into humanity, into church. So what we see in God's interaction toward Elijah is the same thing we see in Jesus' interaction toward his disciples where it's like, come away and get some rest. Have a snack. Take care of yourself because we have important things to talk about and if you're not rested, you're not going to get it. And the other thing you need to know about hearing the voice of God, it's not always big and bright and flashy. Sometimes it's very small and sometimes it's confusing. Jared Votow, who's a resident director at Bohr Benning, Led, yeah, you can give a shout out, BB. Jared led chapel on Tuesday, and he talked about prayer, and he talked about listening to God. And he talked about this time when he was uh, in a worship event, and people were praying for different people, and he very much felt that God was asking him to pray for this other person who was at the event, that he, he didn't know this person very well. And so he began to pray for this person, and then this word kept coming into his head for the person. And he was like, um, God, that's a weird word. I do not want to say this word to this person. But he just felt so strongly that he had to go to the person and say the word. And he did not want to do it because the word was sexuality. And he was like, I do not want to say it. I don't like to say that word out loud generally, God, let alone to another human being. I don't really like, like. So he walks up to this person and he says, I've been praying for you, and God's put this word on my heart for you. And the word is sexuality. And the person went, that is so helpful. Thank you so much. And Jared was like, okay. (laughs) Right? Sometimes when God speaks to us, it's confusing. Sometimes when God speaks to you, it's not about you. Sometimes when God speaks to you, it's because he wants you to draw into community. He wants to lay down your pride so that you can move into intimate relationship with someone else. Sometimes when God speaks to you, it's not about you. About a year and a half ago, I was praying for Aaron and Betsy Winkle. Many of you know Aaron's our associate chaplain. He's the tallest one of us. And... Aaron and Betsy were in the process of uh, trying to adopt. And they'd had a lot of heartbreak along the way. They'd be in, uh, selected by a birth mother along with several other families, and then she would choose someone else. And this kept happening. So. so I was praying for them in about January of last year. And 
I just had one word that kept coming to mind, one over and over and over. And the word was June. And I thought, oh God, I can't, I can't tell them June, it's a January. Like, and what if it's not? So I, I just kind of sat on it. But every time I prayed for them, it would come up again, June. Just like I'd, I'd, start, I'd start to form the words, and God, I lift up Aaron and Betsy, June, June, June. Ugh. And they were, it was such an emotionally fragile time. I thought, how can I? I don't know what to say to them. So I actually checked my email this week to figure out when I actually had this communication with them. And it wasn't until May that Aaron wrote us to say that he had once, they had once again been disappointed, and this has been a, a real heartbreak. And I wrote them back to tell them how much I love them. I was praying for them, and I said, you guys, there's something that's just been on my heart for months now. And I said, whenever I pray for you, the word I get is June. And I said, I've hesitated to tell you. I don't know what this means. I, I don't know anything. I said, maybe it's just one more example of my insanity. There are so many. <laughs> I said, I just, I'm just going to look. And so he wrote back and said, thank you. And we're going to keep trying with a social worker. And on June 1, a baby was born. And on June 2, Aaron got a phone call. And on June 3, they brought their son home. And I say that because I, I, the word of the Lord comes, and sometimes you just, it's such a risk. But what I've learned through that experience is not just what it did for Aaron and Betsy. I'll tell you what that did for me. Say, wow. Pay attention, you idiot. Right? And believe that the voice of God can actually speak. Now, I know that some of you right now are like, that's crazy. You know? It's like this, Lily Tomlin has this great line, and she says, why is it that when we, we talk to God, we call it praying, but when God talks to us, people call it schizophrenia? And that's why it's so important to remember that God is never going to tell you something that goes against his word. He's never going to tell you something that goes against the word. And he's never going to tell you something that isn't, doesn't have resonance in the communion of saints. So he will never tell you anything that goes against his word. He will never tell you anything that goes against the resonance of the communion of saints, which means you have to actually be in the word and be in the communion of saints. So if you want to hear the voice of God, don't just go off by yourself all alone to a quiet place and get some rest. When you've got the word, come back and talk to other people about it. Does this resonate with you? What do you think about this? Does this make sense? What in scripture points to this? Before I even wrote to Aaron and Betsy, I'd been talking with a couple of friends who'd been through similar pilgrimages. And I said to them, what would this seem like to you if somebody just said this? And they said, just hold it loosely. Just, just wait. You'll know when. God will never speak to you something that is against the word. He will never speak to you something that is against the resonances of community. So if you hear somebody say, well, God laid it on my heart that we should do blah, 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 and everyone else in the group is like, did you hear that? I did not hear that. I, no, nobody heard that? Then you, you have the right to be able to say, you know, we're, we're going to wait and see. 
The truth is, as we see in Scripture over and over again from 1 Kings 19, from Mark 6, is that God so desires to talk to you. He so desires to talk to you. To tell you things. So there are ways in which we put ourselves in places where God can speak, and one of them is worship. If you look at a worship service, basically what happens is God speaks to us, and we speak back, and God speaks to us, and we speak back, and God speaks to us, and we speak back. That's worship. So tonight, hopefully, there have been times already in the service where God has spoken to you, where there's been a word or a phrase, something that resonated within you. And now maybe you want to keep listening.